This morning's reading comes from 1 Corinthians, uh, chapter 13. It's on page 1154 of your church Bibles. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection in the mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. My name is Reverend Mark McDonald. I'm the minister here, and it's great to be with you here this morning. Uh, I will just uh, admit the fact that uh, at the ripe old age of uh, 47, I don't bounce off the snow as well as I did when I was a little younger. I went skiing this week and I did uh, uh, just damage a rib. Um, so uh, if I seem a bit wheezy or something today, that's what it's, that's what it's from. Uh, I enjoyed it a lot, but I didn't bounce off the snow like I thought I would. And so uh, that, that's uh, good anyway. Well, this morning we're going to be speaking about love. Potentially the, the greatest love story ever is that God the Father sent His only Son into the world to save all of us. That's the greatest love story ever told. And when we read about Jesus, we understand what this love is about. So when we talk about love today, I want to make sure that we're framing it around this idea of how Jesus loved us. I'm not an original language scholar, um, but there's actually four different words for love in the original languages that the Bible was written in. Uh, and so we translate most of those into the same word love, but that's, you have love for the person that you commit your life to through marriage, but you also love coffee. And so we kind of lose the translation in that. But the love that we're talking about today is probably that, that love that we actually see and we talk sometimes about when we, when we celebrate Anzac Day, is the love where someone would be prepared to lay down their life 
for a, for a comrade, for a brother or a sister. It's not the love that we talk about in marriage, it's, it's a love that is like a, 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 a communal love, a brotherly, sisterly love. And so that's what we're talking about today. Perhaps the second greatest love story that we see in the Bible is that Jesus comes to save us, that's the greatest love story, but then Jesus goes back to His Father and sends the Holy Spirit to be with us. And it's the Holy Spirit that enables us to continue the mission of Jesus. So, Jesus didn't just love us and then leave us, no, He he loved us and then sent His Holy Spirit to be with us. And so, as Paul, in his letter to the church in Corinth, has been talking about church order, yes, he's been talking about spiritual gifts, yes, he's been talking about uh, the way in which the mission of Jesus continues, He's got these chapters that we've been looking at, 12 to 14, which is kind of like a a passage in itself in this letter. He's talking in 12 about spiritual gifts, he goes on in 14 to speak about spiritual gifts and right in the middle of it, he wedges this letter, this passage on love. And if we know a little bit about sometimes the techniques that people wrote in these letters, whenever there is a parallel you look to the centre point because that's the key point. So, Paul's got a bit about spiritual gifts, he's got a bit about spiritual gifts, what's in the middle? That's the most important point, it's love. And so, Paul gives us this list of what love is and what love isn't. So, I've just taken this passage from 13 and and listed the, the, the elements there. And we can see that love is patient and kind, We also could think about these qualities of love, although God is more than this list, we could think of this list like God. God is patient and kind. But also, we've got to think about what love isn't. And when we think about God, we might go to the very last one there on the right-hand side and think, praise the Lord that God keeps no record of wrongs because of what Jesus has done on the cross for us. But just to make you aware of the fact that this is not a passage for just weddings, we could say, well, leadership is patient and kind, leadership protects, leadership is trusting, leadership is hopeful, leadership is persevering and leadership rejoices in truth. We could also say this about ourselves. I wonder if you could go down that list and put your own name in there and say, Mark is patient, Mark is kind, Mark is protective, Mark does not boast. I wonder if we could go down that list and say that about ourselves. And so, this love that we're talking about is central to following Jesus. This love that we're talking about this morning is central to being like Jesus, not just knowing Jesus, but actually following Jesus and being like Jesus. And so, excuse me, I wonder if we're known by this list, I wonder if as followers of Jesus, people think about us and they, they would call to mind those things there. I wonder if we're known for love, 
or whether we're known more for talking about sin, or whether we're more known for what we're against as Christians than what we're for. I wonder whether people would say, oh, those Christians, they're the most loving people. If you want to know someone who's the most loving, go and find a Christian. I'm not sure about your experience, but if you wanted to find someone judgmental, most people would say, go and find a Christian. We need to be known by that list. And yet, sometimes we're known more for what we're against. What's interesting is that I grew up in a Christian household. I grew up, I was probably in church the Sunday after I came out of the hospital. And for some reason, I don't know why, just the, the, the I mean, mum and dad weren't really talking about God all the time, but I just knew that God loved me. I knew that God existed. And it seemed to be a, a, a natural thing. I remember somebody at school saying to me after religion class, they're saying, Mark, do you actually believe this stuff? And I was kind of surprised that he didn't believe this stuff. I thought it sounded so obvious to me. But you know what's interesting? It was actually theology and religion classes that taught me more about sin. It seemed as though theology and religion classes seemed more focused on how we're sinful than on how God loves us. And perhaps you've had experiences as well, where preachers are talking more about how you really need to understand how sinful you are before you can ever understand how much God loves you. And I understand that theologically, that sometimes we need to understand our sinfulness in order to understand the magnitude of God's love, but I think some preachers never got off the bit about talking about how sinful you are and got on to talking a bit about how much God loves you. And I think, you know, it's probably a good thing that the church has moved away from those, what we used to call the fire and brimstone preachers, where they really focused just on how much sin there was in your life. And we've moved on to uh, talking about how much God loves us. Because the church really should be known by a phrase from a song I remember learning at, at church when I was younger. And it was, they will know we are Christians by our love. That was a song that we used to sing at, at, at church when I was a kid. And in many ways, the church should be the most loving place. Christians should be the, known for being the most loving. We should be known by love. And Paul, in this passage, uh, wants the community at Corinth to be known by their love as well. This passage, uh, which can be used for weddings, and if, if, if you used it for your wedding, it was a good choice. <clears throat> I'm not having a go at you for picking it for your wedding. It is a good passage for you to have as your wedding. <clears throat> this wedding uh, passage, we sometimes look at that list and we say, well, that's the, that's the love that a husband and wife should have. But Paul puts this passage into the midst of his little section of 12 to 14 because he wants the church community in Corinth to love each other, to be known by their love. In, verse, in chapter 11, he's talked a little bit about uh, how there's been division and, and the rich and the poor have been separated in the community. And he wants them to, to, to correct that and be known by their love. In... Um, <clears throat> 
excuse me, in his book about the early church, Rodney Stark, and it's a, it's a great book about the, the, the beginning and the foundation of the early church, and he, and he shares in his book how the, 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 the church in the first few centuries were known by their love. They, they were known for caring for people that were rejected by other people. When other people couldn't feed themselves, the church would look after them. When people were sick and, and thrown out of their home, the church would care for them. When, when infants were thrown out of the house because the house couldn't afford them, it was the church that came in and cared for them. The church grew because it was known by God's love. It's such an interesting thing that the church in the first few centuries grew because it was known by its love and yet it seems in the last few decades we've been distracted by thinking, well, the church needs to have a name for itself being known by what we're against. I think Rodney Stark's book would remind us that the early Christians grasped what Paul was trying to share with the church in Corinth, that if they're known by these characteristics that we see on the screen, that sends a message and a witness to the world because it's such a contrast to the world. It was such a contrast to the church in, uh, to the surrounding town of Corinth, which was all about status, which was all about wealth, which was all about getting ahead and putting yourself above everybody else. And Paul writes to them and says, no, it's not about self-seeking. It's not about dishonouring others in order to boost your own status. That's not what love is about. And so, really, this all comes back to the love that was role modelled by Jesus. And, and um, David's sort of talked to us a little bit about Matthew's uh, passage on love and, and that, that time where the Pharisees were trying to tra trap Jesus. But here's another example of love from the Gospel of John. And it's an interesting passage at the start where Jesus loved Nathanael before Nathanael ever met Jesus. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, this is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael responds, how do you know me? And Jesus says, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip even called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. There's a great uh, Christian writer uh, called Timothy Radcliffe and he puts this as the challenge to the contemporary world. He says, what if the, the, the mission of Christians in the contemporary world is to remind the Nathaniels that God already knows them and loves them? You see, sometimes we, as, as what we've been taught for, in evangelism is, is kind of, you have the Scriptures and you have to take the Scriptures and the Word of God to these people who are heathens and don't know anything, as though somehow we're bringing Jesus to people. And Timothy Radcliffe flips it on its head and says, what if Jesus is already with somebody and loving someone and caring for them and they just don't know it yet? It flips the whole thing on our head. Instead of us carrying Jesus we just have to awaken somebody to how Jesus already loves them. 
It makes the mission of Jesus so much easier, doesn't it? And if you add into that that the Holy Spirit is there with us as well, it makes it even easier. It takes the pressure off us to be experts in theology and to know all the rules and to know all the regulations and to have all our theology perfect because all we're trying to do is just remind people of the God who already loves them. And so we get to this reason why Paul puts it in here in this passage because he puts it into the passage about spiritual gifts. In many ways, the opening to this whole section comes from uh, chapter 12 and Paul says, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. He's just taught them about spiritual gifts and saying how you need to use your spiritual gifts and then he says, but if you think that's good, I'll show you a more excellent way and then he teaches them about love. Love is a more excellent way and so Paul wants to remind them that the most excellent way, that the most godly way to be a church is to be a loving community. Paul wants the Corinthians who, let's be reminded, are seeking status for themselves, are seeking these kind of hyper-religious experiences, hyper-spiritual experiences in order to show off, Paul is saying, no, the more excellent way than the way that you're seeking status, the way that you're seeking spiritual prestige, a more excellent way is to actually love one another. Not to compete with one another, but to love one another. And then Paul gives this great passage, which says, love never fails, but where there were prophecies, they will cease. Where there were tongues, they'll be stilled. And where there is knowledge, it will pass away. He's giving us a vision of eternal life. He's giving us a vision of what it's like to be in the presence of God after we pass away. Because why do we need spiritual gifts here on the earth? Because we're not in the fully realised kingdom of God. We're still seeing the broken world around us. We're still seeing the impact of people who don't understand that God loves them. We're still seeing all those things that remind us that Jesus came, but it's not fully realised yet. And so, we need the spiritual gifts in this world because we still need things to break, the Kingdom of God to break into our world. And that's why we have things like spiritual gifts of of tongues and, and prophecy and words of knowledge, all of those things, and we could unpack that more from Ephesians, Romans and, and earlier in Corinthians. But what Paul is saying, when we are in eternity with our Father, Son and Holy Spirit, God, we don't need spiritual gifts anymore. But what exists there that still exists in our world today is love. The love for, that God has for us here in this world will continue into the next. So, spiritual gifts are for this world and, and being, a, <laughs> being a preacher is for this world. I'm unemployed in the next. Praise the Lord. Because we're actually with Jesus in eternal life. So, isn't that great to know? 
the most important thing, the thing that Paul says is the most excellent way. The Corinthians are very much like us, we're seeking status from our house, seeking status from our job, seeking status from all the things that we can't take into eternal life. But Paul is saying the most excellent thing that you could invest in is love and love is eternal, love goes into the next life. It's a great encouragement for us that love never fails. And so Paul wants to remind the church, the body of Christ as he's shared in 1 Corinthians 12, that every one of us has a spiritual gift but it's for, for, the, for the body of Christ, it's to draw us together in love. In many ways, as we look at our spiritual gift, it reminds us that we're incomplete, we don't have it all and it should draw us together rather than make us hide what we don't have. If we're being a loving Christian community, we almost need to boast in what we don't have because it's an opportunity to draw together in the Christian community. We draw together for the benefit of other people. We sometimes think church is so difficult and, and, and I realise it is. I realise that church after the last two years is hard. But what gives me great comfort is that the first disciples didn't know how to do church either. You know, it's not like the disciples said, well, what we want to do is we want to evangelise all the Roman Empire, so we're not going to do anything for six months, we're all going to go into language schools and you're going to take this language, you're going to take this language, you're going to take this language, we'll learn the languages and then we'll go out on the mission. No, they were sitting in the upper room and the Holy Spirit descended on them and all of a sudden they could just speak supernatural languages that meant that the Gospel was heard by everybody. The Holy Spirit comes in to the church to bless the church for the mission and it's a great encouragement for our day as well. As we look at what the church might be like and, and I, I don't really know what the road ahead for St Columns is but I know that it needs to be founded on this passage, faith, hope and love and the greatest of these is love. You see, the church is not meant to be just a place where we love to hang out. It shouldn't just be a community that we love. It should also be a place where other people out in the community can come and feel more loved. Where people who are seeking someone to love them can come in here and feel the love of God. And so the greatest story, love story, is also the greatest gift that we can offer someone. The greatest gift that our community can give someone is knowledge that God loves them. And perhaps the greatest way to evangelise in this period ahead of us is that we are so known by love that people would say, why do those people believe what they believe? And I want to know a little bit more about that. Imagine if we could get this right. Imagine if we could, in this period ahead, be known as a church, as a community that's known for its love. I think it's a type of community that is desperate in our world. 
And uh, I was just chatting briefly to Liz before the service, and this is a great point to finish on. You know, the world is searching for answers to the community crisis, the lonely crisis that we're seeing. And, and, and Liz shared about a TED talk, but there's people coming up with things that they think are these brand new ideas to build community. And those of us that have the mark of faith on our life, that know who Jesus is, look at all of these things and say, yeah, but the body of Christ is even better. We have the best news, we have the best community to offer people. Imagine if more people could know the church as a place of love, and as a place where they would be loved by God. Well, I hope that's the type of church that we can be.